following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Hey everyone, Chris here. Welcome to another week of Tales from the Association. My guest on this show is Lee Nalon. I quickly came to find out that Lee is just a good dude. Lee absolutely set the basketball world on fire when he got to TCU in 1997 and spent a couple of years dominating the college basketball landscape before heading to the pros. He's one of those guys that came along at the wrong time, and it's interesting to imagine what type of career he would have had if he came out 10, 15 years later. Lee's also heavily involved with an incredible charity based out of Texas called A Wish With Wings. They grant wishes to sick kids. You can find out more about them at awishwithwings.org, and I can't encourage you enough to check out the website and seriously consider making a donation. I can't think of a better thing to do, especially this time of year. Again, that's awishwithwings.org. That's enough of me. Let's get to the episode. Here is this week's brand new episode of Tales from the Association featuring Lee Nalon. Enjoy. Tales from the Association, yeah, it's going down. This the podcast, yeah, you heard it all around. Players hit us with that career, cause you know that basketball, man, is not always there. Sometimes it come and go from the recruitment to the college phase, back to the NBA draft, yeah, that's not days. Playing internationally, and at the life at a basketball, man, they're gonna tell us all how it go. See, story is how now, now you know. Tales from the Association. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Tales from the Association. I'm Chris Wardell, and my guest today is former Western Athletic Conference Player of the Year turned NBA second round pick, Lee Nalon. Lee, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's start at the beginning of your basketball journey here. You're at Clay High School, good career, but you play in two JUCOs before you finally get to TCU at 1997. Can you take me through all that? Well, coming out of high school, uh, I really wasn't that good of a player. I was always a bench warmer from sixth grade to ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Ninth grade, I didn't. I tried out for the team, didn't make the team. Um, I went to went to Austin for a summer to stay with my uncle. He introduced me to you know basketball one on one. You know, I was training every day, you know, playing basketball every day. And um, came back my sophomore year. I uh, started playing a lot more. Uh, started a few games. And uh, my junior year, I started the whole season. Senior year, we won a state championship. Um, I didn't have the grades to go D1, so I had to go junior college because, you know, I didn't play basketball really, to yeah. be honest, until uh, my sophomore year of high school. So I really wasn't really – you know, thinking about college until I actually became a senior, really. Sure. So, so uh, make a long story short, I picked Butler first. Then uh, the coach, me and the coach really didn't get along, so I kind of left there. You know, I went to uh, southeastern Iowa for a year, played there under Jim Wyatt. Uh, rest in peace, he died uh, a few, I don't know, five or six years ago. But uh, then I went back to Butler, played for Steve Eck, um then I uh, went to TCU. After TCU, I gradu- uh, uh, graduated from TCU, got a 
got drafted second round. Got in a little incident uh, with a couple of my buddies, so I had to go overseas. So I went overseas my first year playing in Italy. All right, we're we're, John, we're getting way ahead of the story here. Way ahead of the story. <laughs> let's uh, you, we're almost done at this point. <laughs> let's uh, let's take this a little more time with a couple of these things. So, what was it? You picked TCU out of Dejuka. What was it that made you like TCU? Made you feel like it was right for you? Well, one, it was uh, you know to play for a coach, you know, like Billy Tubbs. Yeah, he, uh, he had you know put a lot of MB- a lot of guys in the NBA, so I, I kind of felt comfortable with him off the top. But then two, it was just a style of play, you know, up and down, you know, see if we can outscore you, you know, that's the type of mentality he has. So, um, for what I was trying to accomplish. That was a perfect situation for me because go somewhere and put up big numbers and open a lot of people's eyes so that, you know, one day you know, I could get drafted into the NBA. Right. You talk about playing for Billy Tubbs. I mean, great, great college coach. What was that like? It was good. You know, we had a, we, it was, you know, we had our ups and downs, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, we both was there, you know, to, you know, to put the program on our back and, you know, win and, and you know, um, you know, help the program grow and get better and, and get more talent, more talent guys in there as like myself. And, you know, just try to, you know, keep building up the program, you know, not to do Carolina, but just, you know, respectively, once you hear TCU name that people are like, oh, I know TCU, right. yeah, the basketball, this, this, this and that. That's what I was trying to do, you know, and Coach Tubbs. So, you know, we, we, you know, we, we uh, came together and, you know, we won a lot of games, which was, you know, the main, the ultimate goal was to win games. Right. And you guys scored a ton of points. That had to be a fun offense to play in. Yeah, we was, uh, you know, we, we, he was, he told us, always told us uh, every year, he would tell us before the season started, if we score a hundred points in one half, then we wouldn't have to, you know, practice no more. So <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> that was the, that was the measure stick. <laughs> So oh man! Try to score hundred every night so that we couldn't practice because practice was way harder than the games. <laughs> Why was that? Just Billy pushing you so hard? Yeah. Well, I was on. He he pressed full court the whole game, so oh. I was on the ball. So every time we scored, I'm guarding the ball out of bounds. So I had to, I had to do two traps before half court. <laughs> so before over half court, I had to trap the ball twice. So I'm just running around with my head cut off. And practice, just imagine doing that all practice for two and a half, three hours every day. Right. So it was, it was, it was brutal. But at the end of the day, I was, that was the best ship I was in my life, though. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like those, uh, it's kind of like that Arkansas defense combined with those old UNLV offenses. Right, right. Exactly. That's, that's what, that's the mentality we had to, you know, try to get under your skin, you know, press full court, you know, try to get as many, turnovers we can from you guys and you know turn them into baskets but it clearly worked out for you and what uh yeah man i can't even imagine the kind of shape all of you guys had to be in at that point are you seeing other teams just by halftime they're done oh by halftime it was like you know the the other teams you know they get you had you had you know the teams was mixed so you see the black guys they bending over then you see you see the uh, the white guys, they've been over, but mm. their face is totally red. So we like, oh, yeah, they done. You know, so, so they've never been, in, never been in a situation like that before where a team is, you know, pressing the whole time and, 
you know, just trying to run the score up and never get tired. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. It definitely worked out for you that first year at TCU. Almost 25 points a game, almost nine rebounds a game. Your Western Athletic Conference Player of the Year and just an incredible first season in major college basketball. How seriously did you consider leaving for the NBA at that point? I was serious, but uh, like a lot, one thing that people don't understand when guys get drafted to the NBA, they have they have people around them that's actually uh, one probably lived it or two been around it so long that they know and they know what to do to put the kid in the best position to make it happen for them. Mm-hmm. So in my situation, I never had that, you know. So so for me, I was just going in on just straight, just myself, like my own knowledge, right. how I felt about the whole situation, how I felt about how my camp went, this and that. So I really didn't have any guidance on, look, you need to do this before you get there. Hey, this is how it's going to work, this and this. So – I was Stevie Wonder to the whole process. So mm-hmm. my first year was just a uh, it, w- it was a learning pro- it was a learning process, and at the same time I was still trying to make it. But I didn't like you know uh, where where I was seated, where they had me going. So I was just like you know I might just go back to school, get my degree, and you know try to come back next year again. Right. What was the expectation of where you would have been picked at that point? They they had me late. They had me late second round yeah. just because of the unknown and the conference that I was in was, wasn't was too good. Well, that's, that's so, funny. It was a very different time in the NBA because I think, you know, if you come along 15 years later, 10 years later, like all of, that unknown is almost a benefit. It's like, look what this guy did in his first year, came out of nowhere, right. great story. You know, this is potentially a, a lottery pick. Yeah, but, you know, back then it was it was more of a – you know, the Carolinas, the Duke, yeah. the, you know, the Maryland's, you know, the Big Ten schools. So it was more of, it was, it wasn't, uh, it was foreign for, for, for teams to pick an unknown guy. Nowadays, right. they they looking for them guys. Right. We so, hadn't got to basketball talent can come from anywhere yet. Right. So, so nowadays, but that's good because, I mean, I, I'll probably open the door for a lot of guys that's in a low major conference that put big numbers up to get them a chance to, to make it to the NBA. Right. Very, so, yeah, just a, a very different NBA draft. I mean, you, this was a time where, you know, like I said, a player like you goes as late as you do. And a player like Michael Oluwakandi goes as early as he does. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's just, uh, you know, that's just GM preferences. You know, you got a guy, six, you know, six ten, six eleven, possibly grow another inch or two. And he and you know the conference he was in a decent conference, but he was the I back then it was more a position with yeah. guys like it wasn't a guy playing one to five you know it was mm-hmm. either you was a one two three four or five it wasn't hey you gonna play this or that you know it was it was more of position sports nowadays is hey we need a guy that can play one through five so it was all different back then so it it was kind of at my disadvantage but. You know, I, I still had a, I still had a pretty good career, so I can't really complain, really. Oh yeah, absolutely. And man, that was. I mean, there's been some misses in terms of that number one overall pick, but Oluwakandi is a, about as big a miss as there was. I don't. I'll never understand yeah, yeah. that one to this day. I think that was. Yeah, I, I think whoever that GM was, he probably retired and probably, you know, I ain't looking for another job after that one. <laughs> 
That's a good question. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I do not think he is still working in professional <laughs> sports. Right. <laughs> uh, he's the athletic director at some high school at this point. Uh, if that. So, if that. So you go back to TCU. Another very strong year. Twenty-two. Uh, Twenty-two point eight and nine point three. You're done with TCU, and you know for the second time, you're kind of getting information on the draft. You're getting ready for the draft. What's that process like? Who are you working out for? Well, uh, the process was it was it was much easier just because I knew exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. But I worked out for twenty teams, I think. Jesus, right? You know, two hours each each workout. So I was, you know, I was moving around crazy, <laughs> but it was definitely worth it because I got to see twenty teams on how different how they you know coach and mm-hmm. what the different styles they like to you know, or have or systems they have put in already. So uh, I got I got to, I got a chance to see 20 different teams before I even played in the NBA. So it was kind of good for me and, you know, working out for one or two teams because then, you know, you don't, you don't know too much about other teams and about systems. So yeah, it worked out pretty good for me. Is there one team that you worked out for and you were just – you were very impressed with the organization? Anybody stick out? Uh, it was all pretty much, well, but Milwaukee was a good one. I like because George Carl was over there. He had a, he had a good thing going on. I like the organization, the organization <sighs> over there. Carl um, Carl's interesting because it seems like players either like him or just absolutely hated him. Yes, and I think the guys that really hated him was the ones that uh, probably were scared to get coached. Never had a coach that really. Up that that front you about what's going on at that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, I forget who it was. So George I... Carl, you know, he was a player, so he was like, you know, he he can relate to both sides. So he wasn't scared to tell you if you messed up, whether you was the first or the last guy. And yeah, a lot, of, a lot of players are not used to that just because they was brought up around coaches that actually let them do as they want and play as they want to. So. When you get to when you get to a, a situation or a system where coaches, you know, putting you on front street in front of the, you know anybody, I mean, you can you know, it, some people can crumble, some can you know can rise. But mm-hmm. like you said, it's either a lot of guys either liked them or they didn't. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because what do you think of the differences in how a college coach can coach versus how an NBA coach can coach? Because it seems like you have to have a completely different mindset once you get to that professional level and you're, you're dealing with people who are quite frankly making more money than you. Yeah. I, it's a, one thing, I mean, I'll say this in, in college it's a coach's league. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, the coaches run everything. So, and the kids is trying to get to the next level. So of course they're going to take any type of advice from that coach they can to make it. Mm-hmm. You know, so so really the coaches the coaches actually run, you know, the college, you know, programs, <clears throat> which, I mean, which is cool too, but at the end of the day, the kids are still out there putting the work in, you know, like going to school, going to practice, going to the game. So I still think it's still a player's college league to me, if you ask me. Yeah, you know, well, players, God. I think players should come first because they're the ones actually going through the process and, you know, waking up you know, early, going to class, you know, just tired all the time. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but the the college is is it's much easier for the coach to get on kids because they know they'll come back and they'll see them tomorrow. Right. You know. Right. You know. So so in the NBA, you cuss out. You know, Kobe Bryant. You know, you go home. You might get a phone call the next morning, like clean your locker or you're fired. Yeah. You know what I mean. So you have to be careful. It's a thin line between how the coach and discipline in the NBA because, like you said, guys make way more money than you. So you're not going to be able to tell them what to do unless you already got, you know, two, three, four, five rings, mm-hmm. you know, like Phil Jackson, somewhere like that to where Phil say something and they listen and he know he's not going to lose his job to where you got another coach that might say something, you know, and he's out of there within 24 hours just because the star guy had a clash with him and he if it's, it's either him or I go, you know right. what I mean? So, so it's, it's, it's much more, uh, Lay, I wouldn't say laid back, but it, 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 it's much more easier coaching college than it is NBA for sure. And you know that you'll have your job the next day. For sure, the the college kids aren't going to their agents to complain about you. Well, they, they I mean, they hopefully they don't have agents. That's that's them. what I'm saying exactly. But, <laughs> but they go to the AD and the AD like, hey, listen, kid, get out of here. Go yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, who let you in here? Right. <laughs> uh, but even. Even Phil. I mean, look what happened with Phil in New York. Yeah, see, Phil, but see, the thing about Phil in New York is nobody respects him as a, as a GM. That's true. So, of course, you know what I'm saying, of course you're going to have them, them guys questioning, pointing the finger. But if he would have moved down to the coach, then it, it would have been a no-brainer. Everybody would have been on Phil Jackson's side, you know, just because that's where he did his most damage is as a coach. Yeah. So far as a GM put, bringing guys in, you know, have to, you know, sign this guy, this guy, this guy, and that guy. He's not that dude for that. Yeah, know? that's fair. But, but, you know, you can't blame. I mean, if, if somebody called me and said, hey, we need you to we need you to run, you know, the Sixers. Oh, yeah. You think I'm going to say, no, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to get this money. All right. Well, first of all, I'm a 76ers fan, Lee. So I would just ask that if that does, <laughs> if that does come up, Let's uh, let's oh, tr- let's try and do as good a job as possible. <laughs> All right, let, let's let's play this game real quick. You are you are named general manager of the Sixers tomorrow after uh, some sort of scandal with Brian Colangelo comes out. Let's find. Let's say you know why, who cares. Uh, what is, what are the first moves you're making with this team? First, I had to I had to call coach and figure out uh, the scandal. See see how see how serious it is and see how real and true it is okay it's, okay if it if it's true and it's real then i mean i gotta get somebody else in here to coach these young guys because first of all you already lost the locker room that well i'm just story, this, this our, came out. our scandal okay. is, our scandal is related only to brian colangelo in this point so no one else is affected and you take over for colangelo what what moves are you making to get this 76ers team Back to where they need to be. Uh, I will probably. I would have to get a. I would have to get a coach that's respected on and off the court. First mm-hmm. of all, like a Mark Jackson, some something like that. I would get him in there, and then I sit down with Mark Jackson and say, "Hey, look, you're you're the one that's dealing with these dealing with the players every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in here. You know, just looking over everything." We can come together and figure out 
some rosters or some trade. We can trade a couple guys to get this roster back up and running. You know, then I just ask him, hey, wh- wh- what type of players you want? Uh, who you think is out there that that can fit with your style of play? Who you think we need to get rid of to you know to make this happen? And you know, just find just you know bits and pieces try to put it together. You know, like they say, trust the process. I mean, <laughs> yes, y'all got all this money, like the process. I mean, trust what process? Like y'all could be putting guys in position to where there'd be bets in there, different uh, different coach in there, like. Do, if y'all gonna say trust, if you telling people to trust the process, then make something to make us trust it. Right. You know what I mean? Like I know you, we got a lot of we got a lot of raw talent, a lot of young kids, but at the end of the day, Philly fans ain't they ain't trying to hear that. Well, you know, JJ's there now, Amir's there now. Let me ask you this: you letting the you letting the six ten kid Ben Simmons play point guard? Well, actually, <laughs> he wouldn't be he wouldn't be my point guard on paper. But if he gets it off the rim, bring it up, son. Come on with it. <laughs> All right. He's definitely uh, not the point guard. You're going to be guarding uh, KD. You know, you're going to guard Mellows. You're not the point, buddy. You're, 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 I want you close to the paint as I can. I need you for rebounds. All right, all right, Lee. I, you've gotten my support. All I ask is that if you <laughs> if you do get the job, it, try to find a place for me in the organization, and we're good. Yes. <laughs> I'll go get Yogi Ferrell run point for me. All right. Well, you know, Markel's there now, so I'm all right. I'm all right with where this yeah. roster is. He's he going to be the truth, though. I, I hope so. They're messing around with his jump shot, and I don't like it. He got good size, so that so that 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 right there separates him from the 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 scouts and the NBA saying, "Oh, this guy's six four. He's yeah. really six one. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, yeah he's kind of James Hardeny. With it, with his exactly. size, with his skill he got set, nice size. He got he's a he get he got real nice size on him. Instead of having oh, is he is he really six two or is he really six four? He's a legit nice size point guard. So, you know he he he's gonna. I think he's gonna be well. For, I think he's gonna do well. Yeah, in well, the league, you know, hopefully it'll be for the Sixers and not somebody else. I am. I agree with that. Yes. Uh, so you're right. He's he he is a legitimate six four. You know, we had another guy who you played with at one point in your career in uh in number three, and he was listed at he was listed at six foot. But I mean, I've seen Allen. Allen's five ten, maybe. Okay. Right. You got you. You put a couple insoles, and he might get to six one. Uh, yeah. Even that is a stretch. That's platform shoes. <laughs> right. Yeah, he was an animal though on the court. Like he was I ain't never seen nobody like him. He he you know, he you know, he, when he in practice he would practice but it wouldn't be one hundred. Yeah. But then when you when the game come you like, Man, who is this dude? Because it's like totally different. Yeah. That that practice stuff drives me crazy too, because I think for for better or worse, he's kind of been defined in the negative aspects of his career by that practice comment he made. And it's so taken out of context because... Yeah, and you know what? And the, the, sorry, the, the sorry part about the whole situation is the NBA, they they push that. Like, oh, yeah. Like, don't, don't practice. But they saying, listen, I, I don't want you to give me it, it in practice. I want you to give it to me in the games. Right. So basically you're telling your whole team, look, just chill and practice, and then when it when it's come time to turn up for the games, give me all you got. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And and that particular incident came right after, you know, Alan didn't practice for a couple of days right after he lost a close friend of his and, you know, very emotional at that point, as anyone would be. And he said the things he said. But, yeah, completely taken out of context, just completely unfair to Iverson. Iverson, Iverson's got a lot of things that maybe you can say or it would be negatives, but that's not one of them. But him, far far as him practice or giving it all for the game, as you cannot question that at all. No, no, I watched I watched him get beat up for years. Right. I mean, if you just go to his injury list, I mean, look at the the rap sheet on his injuries. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was injured almost every year, twice in the one season, and still come back the same season. Mm-hmm. Plays through stuff. Exactly. You know, so so he's the toughest now. He's as tough as they come far as the NBA to me. Well, and, you know, my favorite Iverson thing is when he was asked about, and I told this story on the last show, so I apologize to anybody who's heard me talk about it already, but he uh, he was asked about players sitting games, like, you know, the Warriors, the Spurs, the Cavs, all those guys like like to rest their stars. And right. Alan, Alan said, if a coach asked me to sit out when I was healthy, it would be a fight. Right, and that's how he was. Like he ain't like preseason games. He wanted to, you know, play. Oh yeah. Ball. Like, but Mo Mo Cheeks had to take had to take him out of preseason games, and he, you know, he'd be fired up about that. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, let's get back to you. Let's talk about. Uh, like I said, college is over. For the second time, you're getting ready for the draft. You're going into the the 1999 NBA draft. What are your expectations? What do you, What do you think your pick range is? I thought I was late first, just because I had some good workouts, and plus, you know, I've, I've I put the work in two years in a row to to show that I can play. So I kind of I kind of thought I'd be uh, late first round, but I was uh, early early second round. So mm-hmm. it was like a couple guys got picked in different slots, and it messed everything up. Yeah, you end up going forty three to the Hornets, and uh, what was that experience like on draft night? Is that just is it incredibly stressful? Is you know, are you kind of at peace with it? What's going through your head? Uh, I was actually, I wasn't really, I wasn't really stressing about it really, just because I was just happy I was out of, I was, I was done with college. <laughs> to be honest, you know. So, so my thing is, I was like, whatever comes next, I'm cool with it, just because. Um. I mean, I tackled the biggest obstacle course for anybody, you know, mm-hmm. and that's to, you know, finish a degree, get a degree. So for me, the basketball part, I knew eventually I would be able to prove myself again to, to whether if it was overseas or whether it's in the NBA, I knew I had to start my career all over again once I, once I, you know, decided or once I figured out where I'll be playing. So it wasn't really stressed at all. You know, it was just, it was just the unknown, like where am, where am I going to be, really? Yeah. Well, an NBA player who gets his degree before before going to the NBA is kind of rare at this point. What did you get your degree in? Uh, communication and business. Oh, very nice, very nice. And that's actual uh, actually a useful degree. It wasn't in uh, you know teaching gym class. Exactly. It wasn't physical <laughs> education, something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> So you yeah. get you know before you get to the NBA, you're playing with Milano in the Euroleague for a year. What what happened during that period? Well, it was it was it was very interesting. You know, I had just just finished playing college, so I'm mm-hmm. going overseas now. 
thought I'd never go overseas, you know. So mm-hmm. it was like getting a passport. I didn't know nothing about no pass, none of that stuff. So mm-hmm. it was like everything was new to me. But once I got over there, it was still basketball. So you know, I had a good, I had a good season there. Um, it was, uh, it was definitely interesting to go to Italy. You know, different foods, all that stuff. Um, the time zone, all that stuff, I had to get used to. But all in all. If I had to do it over again, I I, I would say I, I would go back and play over there because it was definitely uh, the experience that I needed to before I even made it to the NBA because it showed me, um, you know, the business side, how to be at practice, mm-hmm. how to be early. You know, this is a business. This is not college anymore. So it kind of prepared me for the NBA. So like LeBron said, going to Miami was like going to college for him. This was kind of – this was kind of your like crash course in how to be a professional. Right. It was kind of like, um, you know, being on time and, and just becoming an ultimate professional once I do make it. You know, I, I didn't know that it would, I would have to use it and apply to me in the mm-hmm. NBA, but, but it did. And, and you know, it, once, once, but one thing about pro, pro sports, you know, it's a business first. So whatever sure. level you play, whether it's overseas or NBA, it's, it's all the same as far as, you know, being on time, you know, being respectful, you know, being on, make sure that, you know, you, you know what you're doing, you know, just make sure you organize everything. So it, it just prepared me to go to the next level. How different was the style of play, going, you know, coming from America, going to Italy? It was... Uh, it wasn't really the style of play. It was more because in college, you know, they, you can run two, three zones. You can run zones. Mm-hmm. Overseas, you can do the same thing, but it was just older older guys and smarter, you know. Right. So it was like the zones, it wasn't – it was a zone, but you had smart guys running the zone, so it wasn't just a typical zone. Mm-hmm. So you had to be crafty and kind of, you know, know the plays and really set screens and get open. Because these guys, you know, they older, they're grown ups that's running, you know, a college system. Yeah, all of a sudden, but the NBA is more one on one. You spread it out to where you on the island by yourself, and the only person you got to worry about after you beat your guy, the only person you worry about is the second help guy, which is, you know, the guy protecting the rim. Because mm-hmm. in the NBA, you cannot stop a guy one on one. Oh no, I, always, it, absolutely not. So the coaches always tell you. Uh, when I first got to camp, he was he was telling me all the time, Lee, worry about the second guy. Don't worry about your guy. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Uh-huh. Once I start practicing, getting getting involved, I start seeing that. I was like, oh, this is what he mean by worry about the second guy because I got by my first guy pretty easy. Yeah, defense in the NBA makes it you know very difficult to actually stop anybody one on one. Do you think? Do you think the right rules are in place? You know, they used to back in the Jordan Magic days. You could be a little bit more physical on defense. Is this was that better or is this better? Well, back then it was better just because uh, they wanted they the NBA wanted college, overseas, high school fans to know that, look, if you're trying to play this game, you got to be strong, physical, yeah. and you got to be rough and rugged. Yeah. You know, and that was that was the 80, 90 days. But now it's more of a business. You got social media going crazy now, so it's more of a sell the jersey. Let's get, you know, let's make the most money we can. So how they do that is 
put more points on the board. And how they do that is by taking hands off of guys, letting guys run free, you know, get letting letting guys, you know, run up and down. So the only way you can only way you can do that is by getting younger guys, you know, that's you know, not too much on weight, so you can be more agile, more flexible, and you can run faster. So you know, the, the faster you run, the more guys, the more people come see you play. So yeah. my thing is, it was right now. I like it back in the day, just because it wasn't so politicish and and, mm-hmm. and the rules wasn't you know wasn't so bent, so that you could score 100 points in one half if you could, you know. But nowadays, it, the the rules now is good for kids now, just because that it's the it's the thing now. Like they want to see six ten guys that slam yeah. instead of like big and muscular. Yeah, I miss that. There's an entire, and maybe I sound like a like a crotchety old man here, but but I miss that, man. I miss I miss those old Pistons teams, those old Knicks teams. Yeah. They, those were positions that don't even exist anymore. the The true power forward isn't part of basketball. Yeah. Like Charles Oakley could not play in a modern day NBA. Oh no, 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 he definitely could. You know, a lot of guys. It's funny you say that. Like Malone, he'd be out of there. Like a lot of guys that would be out the of Davis there. brothers. Like a lot of guys would be a lot of true position guys wouldn't would not would have been the top fifty greatest players. That's that's very true. That's very very true. It's just you know I, I miss that I miss that sort of enforcer power forward. Like you know if, if yeah because because his, because is, what y'all teaching the high school kids is don't lift. Yeah, you know what I'm saying don't set a hard screen. You know what I'm saying so so basically what you're doing is you're softening the whole system, mm-hmm. you know, by, by letting guys by, because, you know, high school, college, they watch NBA because, you know, they want to be Steph Curry. They want to be the next guy. So of course they sit at home and watch the games and watch YouTube and all they see is guys shoot threes running free. So that's how they want to play. And which is cool because, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the new basketball era right now. But, I don't agree with it, but I, like I said, I, I mean, I don't make the, I don't write the basketball rule book, but you know, mm-hmm. I like watching it for sure, and it's different. It's de- it's definitely different from what I grew up on, but hey, it's a new day and age, and you know, a lot of kids want to grow up and be Steph Curry, so let them be it, and you know, hopefully they can, you know, make the most money they can playing the sport. Too uh, too damn much three point shooting. If I'm gonna yeah, be a, be an old like, man again. The analytics that like took over, like they tell you how many he's shooting the corner, how many they shooting the wing top. Like it's crazy how they just they just want guys to run the lanes to threes. Yeah, even you know? even so, seven foot centers. Right, you got a seven foot guy. You, know, you, you don't even have to jump to lay it in, but you want him to shoot a three. It's. Ugh. I don't. I don't need to watch Brooke Lopez shoot threes. I just don't need I to think do. The it. NBA is becoming. This, I think the NBA is becoming a USA EuroLeague. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. That's you know, interesting. You got a bunch of seven-foot guys running, shooting threes, you know, half of them foreigners. You know, so it's like less, less – they think – basically they're saying that in so many words that overseas is better ball players than it is here. Mm-hmm. So let's mock the the the, the – uh, the EuroLeague doesn't mock that and bring some of the guys over here so that we can switch it up over here and make it into a running game, shooting game. 
Yeah, very, very different. I mean, if if I say who's the best shooter in the history of the NBA, who are the guys that come to your mind? Uh, probably D- Curry, Dad, <laughs> um, Larry Bird. Larry Bird. That's exactly where I wanted to get. Larry Steph Cur- <laughs> Steph Curry has already made more threes than than I think Bird right. attempted. It's, like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous because nowadays, like you said, it, they don't. It's, it's not. The sport is not well-rounded anymore as far as teaching it. Mm-hmm. Now they tell them, look, you know, I want you to run to this line, shoot here. You know, we run it. We, look, we don't want twos. We want threes. We're running for threes. Yeah, if we get a two, it's okay. But listen, we want threes. Yeah. You know, so it's like, they're to, <sighs> and they're just trying to sell more tickets, which is fine, you know, but that's not real basketball. But, you know, a lot of these high schools and, and, and college kids watch it and think that's basketball, and they forget, like, look, this is, you're still mid-range. Mm-hmm. You, know, you still got to be able to make a left-hand, right-hand layup. You know, you still got to be able to, you know, box out. You still got to be able to drop step, like, all this stuff is foreign now just because everybody want to shoot threes. Everybody want to be a three-point shooter. And that trickles down to every level. Look at the the ridiculous offense that, you know, Lonzo, Leangelo, and LaMelo were playing with Chino Hills barely crossing half court. Yeah, like as soon as they cross half court, they pull it up from three. Yeah, from, like from it, 35. It's just like a three-point shooting contest. Well, I can complain about basketball all day, but let's uh, right. let's get back let's get back to you. You walk in, you're drafted. You know, you finally get to the NBA that that year with Charlotte, and uh, you walk into a gym with guys like you know Jamal Mashburn. What's that like? Finally getting into the league. Well, when I got in, because I I wasn't really a big student of the basketball growing up because that wasn't my love. Like mm-hmm. basketball wasn't something that I was like growing up. Like yeah. I'm going to play this, you know. So mm-hmm. when I walked in, I see Mashburn. They was like, hey, he's Jamal Mashburn, went to Kentucky, blah, this. I'm like, I don't give a shit who he is. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm trying to play now. So I, I didn't care who was on my squad. I was just like, I'm Lee. Like, you know, like I came in like, like this is my team. Right. But once I got there, when I got there, me and Mashburn got real cool. He kind of showed me the ins and out of, you know, different positions on the court and different positions when I got the ball, like what what should I do when I face up. Like he taught me the NBA game from a small forward uh, view, which mm-hmm. is the position that I had to learn, which, you know, I, I already had played facing up to the basket, like pick up, you know, having fun and stuff. But once it became real – then I then I went to my natural position was the four, so I had to learn the game all over again. But he was he was the one that taught me the NBA mid range face up game from day one. Yeah, I think you would uh, you you would probably fit a little bit better if you were playing right now, being that sort of the stretch yeah. four rather than the the big three. Yeah, if I play nowadays, it, it'll be it'll be so much easier for me to play now, just because you can't put your hands on nobody, mm-hmm. and they want to space the court as much as they can. Right. So, so that would be in my favor. But when I got drafted to the Hornets, mm-hmm. it was it was I had a team full of like you know Derek Coleman, yeah, you know, Anthony Mason, rest in peace, uh, 
David Wesley. Like, I had Baron Davis. I had a team full of vets. And when I came in, I had to grow up right then. I couldn't – they wasn't trying to wait for me to grow up. I had to do it on the fly, like, every day. So, it was was a great experience coming to that team with a lot of vet guys and a vet coach Mm -hmm. because it taught me uh, toughness and, and, you know, work ethic. Right. Was Mason was there? I didn't. I didn't realize Anthony Mason was there. Yeah, Mason was on my team too. And, and uh, speaking of rest in peace, you know, Tractor Trailer was there. Yeah, rest. That's my boy. Yeah, I talked to him like a like a few days before he even passed away in Puerto Rico. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, yeah. So forty-two games that rookie season, sort of limited minutes, three and uh, three point nine a game. What's going through your head after that first year? Like just like the NBA is BS. Like I don't yeah. understand. Like like it's all politics. It's not about who got the most game because mm-hmm. every day in practice I was giving it to everybody. Mm-hmm. But you know, like Coach said, wait your turn, son. Wait your turn. So you know that's the thing. Well, when you go to the NBA, you have to wait your turn. And then when it's your turn, if it's earlier or later, you have to be ready. Mm-hmm. If you're not ready, that that turn will walk right by you. And that's what they want as a coach. They want you to, to, to fall because you, you you already think you're better than everybody. So when it's your turn to, to, to actually show them and you don't do it, then it's like, oh, that's just like the coach's wet dream. Like, he's just so happy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, oh, my God, like, this is what I wanted to, to show you because you're not this good, so sit down. You know, yeah. but – Every time he called my number, I was ready. Every time, like if, and sometimes I didn't even play for like a whole month. <laughs> but when he called my number, I was ready. And that's one thing he still say to this day is like, Coach Silas, like when he see me, he said, one thing I can say about you. He said, whenever I called your number, you showed up. Yeah, yeah, that he seems said, like that seems like one of the. On that seems like right, right, absolutely. That seems like one of the common threads that I've heard doing doing this show for a while is that, you know, with so many guys who are, you know, of a fairly similar skill set, opportunity is the biggest thing. It is because there's so many games and they go by so fast, but when you're so young and don't understand it, it go by so slow and you don't understand that mm-hmm. you're going to get an opportunity. All the, the coaches tell me all the time, since the coach, stay ready, stay ready. I'm like, man, I'm not staying nothing. Like, <laughs> I've been saying this for 30 days, man. I've been ready. When am I going to get in? You know, uh, then Jamal uh-huh. Ashburn goes down, he get hurt. I start half of the season, you know, play against Michael Jordan, start against him. I was shell-shocked. Couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Then we go to the playoffs. Then we meet Jason Kidd and the Nets. They shredded us. I, it was like, it was like men's among boys. It, it was bad. Right. And they was that was the the team back then was the the Nets to, to go through to go yeah. to the finals. Yeah, that like you said, that second year, Mashburn's hurt much better. You play in seventy nine games, forty one starts, uh, like ten point eight and three point seven. At this point, like, are you thinking, all right, yeah, now I've proven myself. I knew I <laughs> I knew I could play. Now you know I can play. Yeah, I, I was like, so I was just like, point. If, if I had 
if I was an octopus and then I had ten fingers on each one, I had one finger pointing that coast like you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. Like I was like, this is this is what I've been waiting on. But it was a, that was the best. That was the best uh, the best year I had as far as uh, not scoring and playing and stuff like that, but just learning because I was so young and I wanted it so bad that anything anything I can do that I could learn from playing on the court, I wanted to learn it. But yeah. I was still like wasn't a guy that wanted to be on the bench. So I was I was making sure that you know I did. I didn't know when Mash was gonna come back, so. I was just trying to put my imprint on coach's mind so when Mads come back, look, don't keep me on this bench for too long. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, are so, you uh, you going over to Mashburn and be like, hey, man, take your time? Man, I told man, I used to tell him that all the time. He used to laugh. He said, young fella, don't even worry about it, man. You're doing your thing. Y'all rolling. I don't want to mess up nothing. You know, mm-hmm. so... I, and it's and it's so sad to say, but it's it's this is the truth. When you say if you know what you know now, back then, oh man, you'd be a you'd be a totally different player. That's yeah. why I love to coach and love to train kids because I can instill that into them. Like, listen, man, don't I'm gonna give you all you got, right? I'm gonna give it all to you now, but it's on you to to to, to process this and become a pro now and not later. Mm-hmm. You know, but. You know, basketball, they see Steph Curry shooting a million threes, and it's yeah. like, man, I ain't listening to coach, man. I'm about to shoot number threes. Oh, I know. I know. I, I coached for – I you know moved out to California about a year and a half ago, but prior to that I was in Pennsylvania for a long time, and I, I was – I coached youth basketball. I coached my high school CYO team, stuff like that. And, man, they all just want to be Steph Curry and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And it doesn't matter if they're terrible. They're, they still right. want to go out there and shoot threes. That's all they want to do is find that line. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And the first opportunity. The second you get in that game, three's going up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely nowadays. That's a, that's they the coaches draw plays for threes instead of layups now. Yeah, I will never understand that. Uh, from jump ball, we used to get layups from jump ball. Now they shoot threes from jump ball. Right, pull up threes in transition, like. What do you think? What do you think <laughs> Jerry Sloan would have said if somebody on that Jazz team took a pull-up three in transition? Oh man, he is—he he might get cut. Yes, it could have been Stockton. Right. <laughs> like no, you don't do that. Yeah, but it's different, man. You, I just—I just shake my head, man. Every time I watch, I'll be like, man, it's crazy how they just run for threes. But it works. And the NBA loves it, so hey, you, we, yeah, it works. It's only, it's only you know two people. We can't change it, so we might as well just watch it, enjoy it, and hopefully they get back to fundamentals sooner or later. Now we can start to change it once we get those jobs with the Sixers, though. So okay, yeah. Once you get that, once you get that job, we're going right back to. We want lots of twos, Lot, high percentage baskets. Right. <laughs> you're like you're seven foot two, get in the paint. Number two, and he want to shoot number threes. It's amazing. So that's that four. That's a European look, though. That's true. That's yeah. That's very true. And in, in a lot of ways, Dirk was a trendsetter and also kind of ruined basketball. Yeah, he, he kind of screwed the NBA over. <laughs> Not everybody is Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah, um, and, and, and then it was crazy. It, it, all the GMs are going overseas to try to find Dirk. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Skittishvili, Darko Milicek, all of the... Vlad Radmanovich. <laughs> oh, bust. Yeah, yeah. And high draft picks. And Darko went over Carmelo. Like, that's one of the craziest things that's ever yeah, happened I'm to basketball. Still, if, if I'm, if I'm uh, Dumas, I'm still, like, kicking myself over that. So... Breakout year in Charlotte. You fi- you finally get the opportunity. To finally play well, and uh, you're on to the off to the Knicks next season. But minutes aren't consistent. You know, it never seemed like you got in a rhythm. What happened in New York? Basically the same thing. I go to a team full of vets. You know, they max got two, three max guys, mm-hmm. and they playing. Like you have, they have to play them because they making the most money. Like once you get to the NBA, it's not about the talent. It's all business, and I learned that you know four or five years in. Mm-hmm. It's not about who can score, or who can, who can do this good. It's about who making the money. That's who we gonna play until we trade them or something happens. So yeah. I was in a situation where I was on a team full of vets again. You know, still do the same thing. You know, practice was my game. So every day I practiced, I was hyped because it was my game because I never played in the game. Yeah. So for me. You know, that was I was every practice was an A plus practice for me. Drills, shooting, everything, pick up all that. But Cheney would not still play me unless somebody was in foul trouble. Didn't even play me. Then I'd do good. He'd take me out. Then the fans screaming my name. <laughs> he won't put me back in. Kind of the same story the next year in Atlanta. Oh, uh, in Atlanta, exactly. In Atlanta, it was it was they already had their team. I was just an add in, really. Mm-hmm. You know, because when I came in. They already had a rotation at eight, nine. You know, it was like, oh, well, let me. I, I was just like just patiently waiting because I knew I was to get traded or released. Mm-hmm. So once, once that happened, I was kind of happy, you know. Yeah, it's weird to, weird to think that that would be looked at as a positive, but you're just searching out opportunity. Yeah, I'm just trying to find the right one that fits for me because – like the coaching staff, they told me every time you know, I was on the team, they said, "You, without a doubt, you're an NBA player, but you just have to find the right team that lets you do what you do, and that's how you make it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and that's the truth. you got to find the right system for your game. Or you can and, be in and out. And that next season is 10 days with the Magic and the Cavs. Like, what do you what are you thinking the problem is at this point? Like, like you said, you can clearly play in the NBA, but you can't seem to stick anywhere. I think it was it was uh, when I came, when I came out of TCU, they they the only thing they knew about TCU was they scored. They don't play D. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like, oh, he don't play defense, so he can't play this, can't play that. So already was was already stereotyped as a guy under Billy Tubbs' system that they never played defense. Yeah, that's that's so, interesting. The perception that goes along with your right, your college career. Right. So that carried that that went all the way with me, my whole you know basically my whole career. But I just imagine if I would because it was either TCU, Michigan State, or Cincinnati. If I would have went to Cincinnati or Michigan State, what do you think they would have called, they would have said about me? <laughs> oh, he's a tough nosed asshole. He's he's this, he's that. You know what I mean? It's yeah, all you know. about where you go, man. It's, it's it's what they stereotype you to be. Your type of what what type of career you will have. Right, and then that sort of perpetuates itself in the media because the media has this preconceived notion of you. And I, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm guilty of that. I had. 
last night I talked to I talked to Demar Johnson, played with the Hawks for a while, a Cincinnati right. kid, and you know there's there's a reputation of what Demar is like in the public. This dude, this is a great dude. Demar is a fantastic dude. You know, yeah, I, I was I was shocked. I was legitimately he's very shocked. Smart man, very good dude, man. You know, he uh, we played we we played against each other overseas, so we got to we got to know each other a little bit better as as our careers got um, moved forward and we had to go overseas to play. We kind of uh, found ourselves, you know, hanging out more. You know, found ourselves in the same countries. It was mm. weird, but we had that's when I really, really uh, got to know him because in the NBA. You know, you 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 just on your team, and you just hanging out with the guys on your team. No disrespect to other teammates. Sure, it's just family, you know. Right. Well, unless you're LeBron James. Right. In which case, any any time one of the banana boat fellas are in town, we're gonna we're gonna go out and get some wine. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to do with those him and uh, him and D Wade sitting around a table. LeBron's wearing a, a do rag, and they're drinking wine. That's just one of the weirdest things I've seen. Man, LeBron, man, <laughs> they take, they messing the whole NBA up. LeBron James. What do you mean? Like far as just like resting, resting oh, yeah. players, like all that, man. Like they just like the whole NBA is just like just Hollywood with these with the guys that's running the NBA. Yeah. And the super like, team and nonsense, too. I don't yeah. need super teams. Like, all that stuff just messed the whole NBA up, you know, like. And I, like I said, I don't care. Make your money. I don't care. I ain't in the NBA no more. I ain't sitting over here, you know, hating and being mad. No, mm. do your thing. But they know better than that. Yeah, agreed. So, after the 10-day year, you oh four oh five again, a breakthrough. You're back with the Hornets. Start 51 games. Score 14 points a game. Like this has got to feel good at this point. Yeah, I just knew I was. I just knew I found the home playing with Byron Scott. He liked me, so he said he did. But yeah, you know, I helped him win some. We didn't win a lot, but I was I was the most productive guy on that roster that was still on that team because if you if you remember, everybody got traded. Mm-hmm. You know, Baron got traded, Wesley got traded, PJ got traded, everybody. I was the only one really still from the regular regular roster that was on that team that was actually leading us in scoring. And then what and happens? Then, yeah, what happens? Byron Scott told me, yeah, we're going we gonna to talk to you this, 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 and that. Man, I ain't even talked to none of my agents. They're going to sign Knockbar to a three-year deal. Ooh. That's got to hurt. I couldn't believe it, man. Knockbar. Then he didn't even last the whole season. They traded him the next season. That's that, that's got to be like that's tough because at that point it is it you have to take it as well they think he's better than me why the hell do they yeah, think he's better than and me not only that and when we, we practiced they clearly seen that he wasn't because yeah. he had to guard me and it was not pretty <laughs> so well there's I, a I just, think, I just think it was just a foreign look you know like I right mean, they wanted they they start slowly creeping away from. Being a, a nat, being a natural position to, you know, a guy that's, you have to, you know what I'm saying, do multiple things, which is mm-hmm. cool, you know, but they want guys to shoot threes. 
Yeah, so the last NBA stop is Philadelphia in uh, 05, 06. And again, you know, nothing close to the playtime you saw the year before that. At, at this point, are you ready to make the move overseas? What, what prompted that decision? Well, actually, yeah, I was because my agent called me like, "Hey, look, we got, we got, we got a few options overseas for some for better money than you're making in the NBA, but it's overseas." Or what do you feel? What are you thinking? I'm like, I just got time, so you know what? I'm just gonna, I just yeah. try to go overseas. And so I went over there, and I just when I got over there, I just noticed that it was just they. They was treating me way better than the NBA. I was like, oh, sure. man, I want to stay over here. Uh, and you did. And uh, you, your passport got some stamps over that, those next oh, five years. passport is, 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 is lam- it's all laminated up and, and <laughs> memorabilia up. <laughs> yeah, from, uh, from Israel to Russia to Lebanon to Puerto Rico to Hungary to Mexico to Korea to Argentina. You know, how tough is it sort of going from team to team, country to country? Actually, like I said, once you, basketball is basketball. My yeah. thing was I wanted to make sure I went to a country that was safe. Yes. Um, that, you know, that was that treated Americans good and that paid on time. That was mm-hmm. it. Because if y'all ain't pay on time, I'm on the next thing smoking out of there. Yeah. So I, uh, and I never had that problem, so I, I'm thankful for that, you know, because I know a lot of guys that I still talk to that I played with back then or played against that, you know, that didn't get all their money. You know, they right. go to a different country, and, they, and it'd be all bad. But I was thankful with my agent, Larry Fox, put me in a situation to where I was successful to get all my money every season. So mm-hmm. I was just blessed for that in that situation. Yeah, it seems but like yeah, that's that's true. That. Cause you know, it, that was the most, that was the three things I was concerned about just on being on, paying on time and <laughs> days because, you know, I had kids and stuff, so they would come hey, yeah. once in a while. So that was, you know, that was my most concern as of far course. as going to different countries. As far as basketball, it was all the same. Like they wanted me to be the man on the team, this and that. So every role, every country that I went to, my role never changed. Mm-hmm. That's gotta be nice. Yes, that's very nice because, you know, when you get overseas, you know, everybody over there think they can coach and you might run into, well, you're going to run into some teams that the coaching staff is just shitty. Like, you Mm. don't even know what they're doing, you know, but that's just, that's just part of it. Of all of those places, what was your favorite experience? Uh, First, I would say Israel. Why? Because it was so Americanized. That's, yeah. like everybody spoke English. You know, um, they they love Americans. Uh, it was it, the Tel Aviv was beautiful. You know, it's on the yeah. water. You know, palm trees. Everything was just perfect. Like I felt that was the that was the the only place that I went overseas that I felt like I was close to home. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, it's not, it's yeah. not a bad gig. You know, you spend four or five years getting paid a bunch of money to travel the world. Exactly. So it was, it was uh, Israel, and then I say Russia, and uh, Korea. Any one place that maybe you wouldn't go back to? Uh, one place I wouldn't go back to, probably Mexico. 
No Why? disrespect to Mexico. It was just all unorganized. And the yeah, bus uh-huh. ride, 17 hours. It was oh. nuts. Like, we flew very slim. Right. You know, Mexico is, 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 is where you go at the See, I went there at the end of my career, which is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go to Mexico fresh out of college or, you, or you're done. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Mex- where, where some kids do have to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Mexico is not really a feeder league for the NBA. Right. You, you, if you go to Mexico, guess what? Yeah, I, I mean, geez, no one's going to know you're over there. Right. <laughs> Unless right. you just kidnap somebody and now you're on CNN. You know and that's I mean? not impossible. Right, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're... They might let you do it. <laughs> right. So we're uh, we're going a little bit long. So let's uh, I'm gonna play a quick. We're gonna play a little word association game here at the end. So we'll get you out of here. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some names of some players that you've played with over the course of your career. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I say their name. Okay. P.J. Brown. Real. Eldon Campbell. Huge. <laughs> Derek Coleman. Badass. Badass as a positive or a negative? Both. You want him to go. You want to go out with him. Wherever you go in public, you want him with you. Right. But then at the end of the night, guess what? You want to get away from him. Right. right. (laughs) So it's like good and bad. Baron Davis. Um, Brother. Hersey Hawkins. Professional. Love Hersey. Jamal McGlure. Loud. <laughs> Mashburn. Smooth, silky. Wesley. Uh, big bro. Stacy Augman. I feel like Stacy Augman is a very good player who nobody really talks about anymore. Stacy Augman? Uh, OG. How about uh, the, the departed Robert Trailer? Uh, family. Allen Houston. Quiet. That's what I hear. Um, <laughs> it's like creepy, though. <laughs> like, seriously, like, you in the locker room, you you the last one in there, the next you know, you turn, look, he right there. You're like, whoa. <laughs> well, isn't uh, isn't Ratliff kind of the same way? Yep, yep. Theo Ratliff the same way. One of the funniest things that I've had happen on this podcast is uh, I was talking to Maurice Ager. And Mo said, playing this game, Mo said, uh, Ratliff might be a zombie. <laughs> yeah, but one thing, Ratliff, the man, his, his wardrobe was always clean. <laughs> every, time he pop, every time he came anywhere, the game, whatever, event, whatever, he was always dressed clean, always. So different than Allen and Iverson in that way, huh? Yeah, well, obviously he was clean, but he was he was urban clean. Yes, very different. Uh, look, <laughs> Latrell Sprewell. Uh, energy. My guy, Clarence Weatherspoon. Uh, quiet. I love me some spoon. Spoon's coaching now. I've been trying to get him on the show. Is but... he? Wow. Because yeah. he never talks. 
that was he was that was like glory days when i you know i remember very fondly i'm sort of grown with some infatuation with the nba draft i'm fascinated by the nba draft and the first one i i remember seeing was was the shack draft and that was we took spoon that year and all you get this six six power forward who there talk about a guy who would not have a place in the nba today oh but he would definitely be done oh man so but so good and so athletic yeah. yes he was all that how about uh, how about boris dl different different how Uh, (laughs) overseas in America uh, guys from overseas in Americans are different yeah oh you can tell he's from overseas okay I like I like any time one of these starts with a chuckle because you know there's something there right (laughs) right how about Steven Jackson Wesley Person. No G. By the way, I can't believe like it ruins the memories of my childhood the Chuck Persons involved in this recruiting scandal. Oh man. He's it ruins about to go it. down. Oh, he's about to go down hard. Yeah. Oh well, I think a lot of people are about to go. Patino is yeah. not going to be the only coach to lose his job. And you know what else? He's about to he's about to sing like a bird. Well, I mean, it's not like these coaches don't know exactly what's going on. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's all just a matter of time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take all season, but it's all going to come out. Yeah, and, and some of it's going to come out a lot quicker than that. This could be a very interesting le- uh, year in the D-League with all of these guys who aren't going to be eligible. Exactly. It's going to be a lot of a lot of, a lot of uh, The G-League might be the place to be. It's you're not kidding. Like there's there's gonna be a lot of I mean the kid uh the kid at Louisville is top ten recruits already ineligible and there's gonna be a heck of a lot more. You know I hear right. my Miami's about to get hit and that kills me because I was really excited about this Miami team with Brian Brown or Bruce Brown and yeah, uh, and Lonnie Walker. Yeah, that's a good team and uh yeah. I they I don't think they're gonna be a good team when the season rolls around. Let's put it like that. Yeah, it's about to hit the fan. Uh, what do we got? Rashid Wallace. Uh, hilarious. I know you got a Rashid story. Um, I can't, I can't do it. Any Rashid story that is, you're able to say on the air. Uh, no. no. <laughs> well, I guess that, that is Rashid Wallace. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can I tell you, that dude is so misunderstood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, he's going to go hard for you. Nah, he's uh, going to go hard for you. I was around Rashid when he was playing in some tournaments uh, in high school. And, like, that guy is a uh, – he's a D-bag on the court. Let's put it like that. But yep. off the court, nice guy, like, has time for everybody. Just yes. a good dude. And that's the one thing about uh, – that's something, the only thing I hate about uh, uh, people read guys off of, off of them on the court. Yeah. You know, like, oh, don't talk to him. He's crazy. Mm-hmm. How do you know? You didn't even talk to him off the court. Like, on the court, he better be crazy. Right. You know? Right. On the court, you know, you'd be so surprised at how many NBA guys that played back in the day that used to throw elbows and push people down and put their finger all in their ear or their eyeball. <laughs> off the court, you would be like, wow. 
Right. This guy is super nice. Right. Uh, Tracy McGrady. Athletic. Carlos Boozer. Uh, he's, I don't even see one word. Uh, it doesn't have to be one word. Strange. Straight, well, why strange? He's from Duke. You know, them Duke guys, <laughs> I mean... They're different too. Duke guys are different. No disrespect to Duke, you know. Duke guys and program, but they just different. Duke guys and international guys. Right. <laughs> what about an international player from Duke? That's got to be like barely a human being. Right. He got to be. He got to be an alien or something. <laughs> unicorn. Uh, how about? Well, I guess you played with a rookie, LeBron James. Yeah. Uh, talented. Well. Speaking of talented, you played with a young man by the name of Dewan Wagner. Oh, man. He's, he was a pit bull. Why didn't, he, he, why didn't he make it? Man, he was sick, man. Everybody thought he, everybody thought he was going to be dead. Yeah. That's... Yeah, he got sick, but that's what, that's what did it for him. But he was definitely a hell of a player. A couple, a couple more on the list here. David West. Producer. Andre Iguodala. Uh, a thief. Allen Iverson. Top 50. Yeah. Chris Webber. Uh, talk too much. Talk too much? Yeah. See Webb uh, get on your nerves a little bit that year in Philly? Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. What what's the just just talking trash or what's the deal? I mean, well, here's the thing. <laughs> you're on your last leg, no disrespect. Yeah. You're on your last leg out. You go to a team where this guy's been on the team, this brand this team mm-hmm. since day one, meaning the answer. Yeah. You go to the squad, you get mad because he's shooting every ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, hello. You came to his team. Right. <laughs> like, and you're on one leg. <laughs> Will you please set the pick row <laughs> so he can shoot the ball? Please. But you yeah, know, he was, he I was, was, it, it was amazing. You know, he just act like it was, he was on the Sixers and they just drafted AI to play with him or something. Right. Right. No. And you know what drove me crazy is when Weber got to Philly that year, all he wanted to do was shoot jump shots. Yes. All he wanted to do is shoot Jays. I'm like, T-Web, roll to the basket, but that just lets you know that he was he was hurt. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, Allen scored like thirty the year before, and uh, you're not going to take shots away from him. Exactly. Not on. You might if you're healthy. Yeah. But when you can't jump over a donut, you, you're not going to get no touches. Sorry. Absolutely we not. Well, to, to Sam Dallenberg. What was Sam like? Because <laughs> Bear is an, it seems like an interesting dude. Man, weird, man. The man had about 15 cats living with him. <laughs> Wait, what? Man, we used to call him Catman. <laughs> man, I promise you, the man owned about, I don't know if he do, but back then he had about 10 to 15 of them. Every time he came to practice, he had cat hair everywhere. <laughs> Did Dallin Bear smell yeah. like cats? Well, good. no, he didn't. He did smell like cat. Maybe because his house is so big that. Yeah. That's a that's a to... funny story. 
Yeah, he was the cat man. That's, who who was the coach that year? That was uh, Bill was Mo Cheeks, right? Yeah. What was? Did you have any interactions with Billy King? Because this is not a guy who has been super well respected as a general manager. Oh my god! He like I never did like Billy King. He lied to me to my face. So like before he even signed me, yeah, we're gonna feature you live. We're gonna give you the ball. This and this. This is a great opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Blase this, blase that. Nothing. Yeah. But I heard that about him too. That's why he probably out of the NBA. Well, he made that terrible trade with the Nets and uh, gave him like that, gave the Celtics right. like four first round picks. Crazy. Yeah, that, that, I think that he cheddar bobbed himself on that one. <laughs> yes, he did. So <laughs> NBA playing career is over. International career is over. Now you find yourself in the big three. What was that year like? Before I even played in the big three, I didn't even touch a ball for like three years because I was just training kids and, you know, being a father and, mm. you know, figuring out what I wanted to do. So it was like, do I want to play some more? Do I just coach, keep training? What do I want to do? So then I get a phone call. Hey, we starting this league, big three, Ice Cube wanted to know if you wanted to play this, this. Mm. I said, man, I ain't played ball in a while. I said, I'm not in no shape. They said, you got six months to get in shape. Is it is it is this something you want to do? I was like, you know what, I I do it. And mm-hmm. they're like, okay, so we gonna we we put you down as you're gonna play. I was like, yeah, I'll play. So then and- I didn't know the rules. I didn't know what was going on. So we go to the combine. The combine was it was cool. We just did a lot of one on one stuff, three on three stuff, two on two stuff, uh, shooting drills just to see who was in shape, make sure everybody was, you know, still looked decent, mm-hmm. you know, so. After that, then they had a draft. By the way, that's my first time walking on stage, shaking the commissioner hand, so I felt like <laughs> I was off in the NBA again. Well, congratulations. Shout out to, shout out to uh, uh, Roger Mason. Yeah. For, uh, you know, shaking my hand, making me feel like I was, <laughs> you know, a lottery pick. <laughs> but uh, then we start playing. You yeah. Know, all the guys start back hanging out together as far as, like, fellowship and going out to eat. Yeah. You know, at, in the hotel rooms together, hanging out, playing cards, just back like we was in the NBA again. So everybody fell back in love with each other. No homo, but you know, everybody, you know, sure. met each other, and you know, it was just a, it was it was a rock star ten weekend. It was yeah. great. I loved it. Was there any concern at all after that first week when uh, when Jason Williams tore his ACL that like maybe we shouldn't be doing this? You know, once he when he went down. I said to myself, man, I'm glad I was injured four weeks <laughs> ago and not now. Yeah. Because when I start back when I start back training, my training was a B it was it was so stubborn. Like first my back went down, I was out for three weeks. Yeah. Then my calf muscle went down, I was out for a week. Then my shin went down, then I was out for another week. So that's I had six weeks to get ready for the first game. And I only worked out three times. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm going to be the worst guy out here. Like, I'm just going to stink it up bad. But then once I start seeing the games, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not the, the sorriest one out here. Who? Okay, well, who who is oh, the sorriest one out there? So you got Ruben Patterson, he's stuck. You know, uh-huh. you got, uh, uh, let me see. <laughs> Uh, well, I, do you think Allen Allen was kind of 
afraid that he stunk? You know what? I think Allen. I, I, no, that don't bother him because trust me, his 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 swag is so high. He never thinks his poop stinks. So okay, that's, that's not that's not even you know that's not close. I just think it was just you can't run up and down, so you can't hide him. Meaning yeah, guys are gonna post his little butt up every time. Right. So he just came and just he just came Revis Island over there. Like <laughs> like guys was just sizing him up, just going right at him. So after two or three weeks he's like, you know what? I'm done with this. This you guys are not just gonna keep picking on me. Right. So he just so he just became a coach. Yeah, I think he's not even coming back. He's just coaching now. He's not uh, not even playing. I think Demar's the captain of that team now. Yeah, he's the captain. I think uh I think Allen might just be the coach, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's what that's what Jamar said. I don't I don't think Allen has any interest in playing anymore. Right. Yeah, it's over with. So, so that's good. At least he got out there a little bit, and his fans seen him. That was the most. Well, sort of. Even if you don't play, at least come out and let the fans see you, because you know you got kids that never even got a chance to you know to put lay eyes on you. So you, yeah. you have to come out. Well, look, I you know so I have. Good. I have the utmost of respect for Allen as everything he did in Philadelphia, but right. fans kind of got to see him. You know, there was the the big story where he didn't even show up for the the big three weekend in Philadelphia, which is kind of bullshit to be honest. Exactly, but he did I, show up. Uh, did he show up? I mean, he didn't play. If he he might have shown up, but he didn't. He didn't play. Yeah, was, he he definitely didn't play. <laughs> Who was uh? So you talk about you get to that combine, and there were some interesting interesting names that did not get drafted. Give me a give me a couple names of guys who were just not even close to being in shape. Steve Francis. That's the first one I've heard. Oh man, he looked at like no. I, oh my god, I'm not even gonna do it on here. But yeah, yeah he wasn't in shape. Uh, let me see. It was a, it was, you know, and it was still some guys that actually did get put on IR that was like just bad. Yeah, yeah. Francis like, is the guy that everybody mentions. Like he must have just Francis, been in terrible you shape. Had, uh, Smush Parker. Uh, you had Smush Parker looked like he was like forty pounds overweight. He looked <laughs> like he was a bouncer. Like it was <laughs> crazy. Uh, it was a bunch of guys in there, but it was a bunch of guys that that I really didn't play with that that was there. Like, I don't know a few of the guys, you know what I mean? So it was like, who is this guy? Who is Because there was some older guys there. Right, right, right. right. Uh, was, uh, was Antonio Davis, did he try out? Because I no, can't remember. No, he didn't try out. Because I remember, I don't know if you remember this show that was on like, like six years ago, seven years ago, something like that, called Pros versus Joes, where like average people would go go up against old professional players. Antonio Davis was on one of the episodes, and man, he, like I don't, he he was probably three thirty. Wow! I look. Oh, terrible! <laughs> oh, just terrible! I the I've who seen them, he. Uh, I've seen him just some of the AU uh, event. <laughs> like by all accounts, very very nice guy, but yeah, he was not right. not in shape at all. All right, well, Lee, any, anything to promote before we get out of here? Uh, promote Wish for Wings. Uh, something, it's a foundation I 
I got uh, connected with a few years ago. Um, How can people find out about that? Uh, wishforwings.com. Okay. If not, you can Google Wish for Wings. But what it is is just uh, kids that, that's not, that's not going to make it. You know, much longer. Like they have a disease that they that they can't, and there's yeah. no cure for. So you know, they get they get a wish, and someone wants shoes. Someone want to see you know, you know, Allen Iverson. You know, mm-hmm. just the one wish. And you know, I try. We try to grant that wish for them. And you know, that's 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 that's. I really wish people to you know go on the line and, and, and try to figure out you know, which kid they like or, you know, try to donate. It's, it's, if, even if it's just 5 $10, it's better than nothing, you know. So, yeah. you know, you can help a kid out by any way, you know. So with that all being said, man, I appreciate oh, yeah. you know, having me on the show. Um, oh, call absolutely. me anytime you want to do another interview or whatever. Absolutely. This has been a lot of fun. And, you know, for more, thank you for coming on. So, you know, we will, we will absolutely make a donation to the charity as a, as a thank you to, to you for your time. And uh, this has been Tales from the Association. My guest has been Lee Nalon. Lee, it's been awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, man. Give me a shout.